all across the spectrum, uh, from the highest to the lowest socioeconomic status, black people in America make less money. Then you have the issue that many physicians were, who are on the front line were them themselves affected by COVID and may have had to close their offices because themselves or their staff was affected. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news stories? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one conversation with our reporters every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Debrief Podcast. I'm your host, David Ushery, and we have been focusing our podcast on the coverage of race and racism and how race and bias intersect with various aspects of society, trying to paint a fuller picture of some of the issues that are confronting us right now. And today we have one that does really stem from the pandemic, and that's the concern that many Black-owned doctor's offices are going to be forced to close in communities, in Black communities, at a time of a health crisis. So to help put this in perspective for us, we have Dr. Domaly Campbell, who's an assistant professor at Rutgers, New Jersey Medical School, also president of the New Jersey Medical Association, and Dr. Natalie Roche is also with the association. Dr. Campbell, thanks for being with us. Paint a picture for us, if you will, as we stand uh, right here now, coming up on the end of September, the beginning of October, uh, with Black-owned doctor's offices. Certainly. Thank you for having me. Um, I'll just start off by saying that Of course, uh, with the pandemic, um, Black-owned doctor's offices operate much like small businesses. They have a very small, narrow operating budget. They had to do several things to try to pivot and adjust when the pandemic occurred. So, number one, many times they folks had to lay off some employees. They had to change their hours. Um, They had to try to adjust their offices for telemedicine. And that not only means having the durable equipment for themselves, but also assuring that their patients could take advantage and had the equipment to participate in telehealth visits. With that small operating margin, financially, you know, many offices were not able to adjust as quickly as possible. Then you have the issue that many physicians were, who are on the front line were them themselves affected by COVID and may have had to close their offices because themselves or their staff was affected. Another issue is also the equipment of being able to ascertain and obtain the protective equipment. Of course, when you had hospitals, huge hospital systems that were struggling to get equipment, then you also had smaller offices who couldn't do the high bidding that uh, some of the hospitals could do. And lastly, there were small business loans that were put out there, but many of the physician practices found that they weren't able to get that, get those loans either because they did not have pre-existing relationships with the larger banks that were able to offer the loans. And so we saw that as also a big issue amongst the physician practices that we work with. Right. Part of a broader issue, doctor, right? Confronting all Black-owned businesses, these pre-existing relationships with the banks for uh, the payroll protection program. And also, while they were struggling to just stay afloat, putting the application together. I mean, you had just kind of a perfect storm for these offices. And I think it's worth reminding people, doctor, why COVID has had a particular impact in communities of color. 
Sure. I mean, we know that many folks um, are dealing with a number of different issues. One being that we're on the front lines working. When we talk about essential workers, many times the picture is of doctors and nurses, and they certainly are. I myself was certainly, you know, charged to go to work every day. But the other essential workers that we don't think about are the transit workers, EMS police, supermarket, and many of those employees, including many of the employees within the hospital, registration, for sure, are folks of color. We still had to come to work every day. Also, you know, in addition, uh, folks in uh, communities of color dealing with issues of obesity and diabetes, which certainly have shown that they are predisposing factors to making the disease of COVID work. This is Dr. Roche, because I just wanted to add a few things. Other than the pre-existing conditions and being essential workers, all across the spectrum, uh, from the highest to the lowest socioeconomic status, black people in America make less money and have less wealth. And that translates into things like not having access to private cars. So there was a lot of use of public transportation, uh, which put people at risk. And housing. Uh, the whole historic issue with black people and lack of ownership of housing translates into the inability to shelter in place or to have separation of the people at risk in the family from those without the same risk. So when you have all of that multi-generational living, when you have the lack of things that even white people who are lower socioeconomic status have, which is a vacation home that you can escape to. Mm -hmm. Uh, All those things, you know, impacted um, the black community to allow us uh, to be um, in the position that we're in today. Well, Dr. Roche and Dr. Campbell, let me, before we wind this up, let me ask you both to give us your perspective on what can be done. What can we as a community do? What needs to happen now uh, as we still confront the pandemic? Well, um, hopefully, um, If we have a resurgence again, we're in a better position to understand what the risk is and to understand that our patient population is very much at risk so that they can be targeted in terms of trying to do the best they can in terms of prevention and also trying to help them to do things like be able to decrease their risk, shelter in place, et cetera. For example, there were some projects, particularly in Newark, where people had homelessness, et cetera, they were put up in hotels. So all people who were healthcare workers who could not separate from their family members at home, they could go to the hotel and stay and have an ability to be able to decrease uh, spread of the illness in the community. One of the biggest things is to try to make sure that that small business uh, money, if they're going to, you know, they ran out of money. (laughs) But if they actually do that again, to understand that um, it's the smaller banks, the smaller lenders, um, who are the ones that the doctor's offices had the best relationship with. Um, And they need to, again, they did it as a second round, but they need to do that as a first round to allow that money to filter into the um, economic lending organizations that would particularly be accessible to those uh, physicians' offices and to try to streamline some of the application process to the best of their ability because the amount of time and energy um, that had to be put into the applications was actually um, inordinate. Right. Wow. Well, you certainly uh, opened our eyes and given us some perspective of yet, sadly, another concern, but also maybe a rallying cry now to focus on this because we are facing months ahead with the health crisis 
and in these communities that are suffering so much. Dr. Domily Campbell and Dr. Natalie Roche from Rutgers, New Jersey Medical School and the New Jersey Medical Association. Thank you so much for all that you do and for joining us on this podcast. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. I'm your host, David Ushery. I want to thank you for joining us and thank the production team, Melissa Mack, Ben Berkowitz, and Darren Price. We will see you next time on The Debrief.